I didn't even know the Packers had a football team. Those are short, I know. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's a cheesehead, so we'll have some fun with that one. <laughs> well, good morning and welcome to Springbrook. We're glad you're with us today. Uh, we are headed rampantly towards uh, 2014, aren't we? Man, that just came up uh, so fast. Pastor Dan uh, had rotator cup surgery Friday, and so he's home uh, recuperating and doing well. And I know he would appreciate it. A note, uh, he's on, I saw his post on Facebook, and so he's home, he's recovering, and would appreciate our prayers. And I would encourage you to be praying for Lori, because I, uh, I know us guys are not the best uh, patients. So uh, be praying for their family as Dan recovers. Uh, he'll be out uh, next week as well. We'll be hearing from our guest speaker, Dr. Lou Petrie. Uh, some of you have uh, had an opportunity to hear Dr. Lou speak in the past. He's a, he was a former Canadian Mountie. The guy's just filled with enthusiasm, and so we're in for a treat with Dr. Lou next Sunday. Um, but why don't we just uh, uh, just lift our time up together to the Lord. I know in my own heart uh, just the importance of calming down. I know it's been a busy week. I know the holidays are kind of rushing around. We've got plans for this weekend. But let's just ask God to uh, still our hearts and quiet our hearts this morning as we prepare for what he has for us. And so would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for this day of givenness, and I just thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, for the opportunity we have to come together this morning um, just to worship you and to uh, just to hear your word proclaimed. I pray that it would be life-transforming for us. And so, God, we just want to commit our morning to you for your glory. I pray for Pastor Dan this morning. Pray for a speed recovery for him and for their family as they come alongside him at this time. And, uh, God, I just want to pray uh, for our time together this morning. May you bless it. May your presence uh, just manifest itself. Uh, here with us this morning. God, thank you for this opportunity we have to come together uh, as we lift uh, in preparations for the new year. And so, God, we commit our time to you for that purpose in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it seems like just yesterday I was teaching on the book of Ruth, and we were leaving the year 2012. And so now we're headed towards 2014. And I don't know where 2013 went. Does anybody know where that went? (laughs) Man, that just flew by, didn't it? I know the uh, older I get, the faster the years just seem to kind of come by. I was talking to somebody last week, and we were talking about the fact that life is like a roll of toilet paper. You know, when you first started out, it's kind of moving kind of slow, but by the time you get to the end, man, that roll is just flying. That's, a, that's our analogy for today. Life is like a roll of toilet paper. So did you learn anything today? Oh, yeah, life's like toilet paper. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things about the reason that time moves so quickly as we get older is because we think in a linear fashion. You know, we think in terms of 2011 being in the past and 2012, 2013, 14, 15, and so we think in terms of taking one steps. And so we think linearly. And that's the way our minds work. But the reality of the fact is is that life is not a linear equation. It's more like an exponential equation. It seems to kind of multiply and fold over on itself um, the older we get. I mean, think about this for a moment. When I'm a baby, I'm born... It's just me. <laughs> when I have a care in the world, times are relevant, and I'm just all I've got in my, in my own little world there. And then all of a sudden I get older and I realize I've got siblings and family, and all of a sudden I start having some other responsibilities and relationships start to, you know, compound themselves. And, you know, not too complicated, but then I start school. I start making friends at school, and so I've got me and my family and my brothers and sisters and my friends at school and classmates. And all of a sudden it starts to dawn on us that, hey, time really is something that is moving slow. We become aware of time, I think, in grade school. I can remember sitting in Miss Scully's classroom, and the bell that dismisses at class, 3.15 rang so we could all go home. And I can remember sitting there at 3 o'clock, and I'm not kidding you, that 15 minutes, whoa, man, it moved so slow. 
And I would sit there and watch it. It's like the more I watched it, the slower it went. And I can remember as a kid thinking, oh, man, time just moves so slow. And all of a sudden, I got into high school, and I got a car, and so it's me and my sister and my mom and my dad and my grandparents and school and my, my friends and my car. And all of a sudden, things are starting to pick up. And then I get to college, and it's me and my family and friends. And, and then college, and I'm getting a job. And all of a sudden, things start to compete for my calendar, and I'm starting to feel some pressure. And, and then I met my wife, Carolyn, and I get married, and then it's her family, and it's me and my family and my friends. And, my, you know, and then and all of a sudden, I have kids. I don't know if anybody has kids. Oh, my gosh, it's no longer you, but, you know, you got the you time in there. All of a sudden, by the time you get down here with kids, you are just feeling the pressure of just not having enough time to get stuff done. And then they have kids, and you have grandkids, and then they got kids. And I don't know if you've got kids that maybe they're in sports, and you're running around. And I'm not kidding you. You know, many of you are right here today, and you're thinking, holy mackerel, does anybody feel the pressure of this besides me? I mean, really. Does anybody feel how fast time is just coming at us? I mean, it just seems like... There's not enough time in the day, and it's just fine. You know, it's no wonder it says, you know, one day is like a thousand days to God. You know, he's got the responsibility for the whole universe. I am glad he does, and I don't, right? So, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why uh, God used Moses to give us this passage. In Psalm 90:10, Moses writes this, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, maybe 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. You know, soon they're gone, and we'll fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Be self-aware of the things that are going around us. You know, we have maybe 70, maybe 80, maybe 20, maybe 40. You know, only God knows the number of days that we have. You know, it's appointed once for man to die. God's got a plan for every one of us. Uh, God knows our days, but, you know, in general, the average age in the United States for a guy is around 77, and so I'm hoping to get to 80, <laughs> so... Right? And so our time on this, so the point here is, is that our time is fixed. We're not here that long. I mean, my grandmother made it to 95. I think the oldest person on record the last time I looked was around 121. And so there's a fixed number of days that we have while we're here. And so God says, number our days. You know, teach us to number our days. Be self-aware of the fact that this is a temporary life. You know, we are not here indefinitely. And if you can number your days and you're self-aware, then you'll get a heart of wisdom. And so as you set priorities, as you think about the fixed number of days, as you make time for those most important relations, as you're intentional about how you use your time, that's a wise thing. Don't let your calendar rule you. Rule your calendar. And I just want to encourage you, men. You know, if you have, um, I'm going to be teaching a workshop on, on managing your time and looking at setting priorities uh, for our No Regrets Conference on February 1st. And so I'll be teaching a, a workshop on this. And um, I can tell you guys, if, if this is something you've already got figured out, let me know. Um, I'd really like to, you know, kind of pick your brain on what you found out. But if this is an area that you'd uh, like to grow in, I'm going to encourage you to sign up for No Regrets um, today. We've got four workshops for our No Regrets conference. We have uh, one on just kind of managing our priorities. Uh, uh, we've got uh, Bill Atkinson's going to be teaching one on marriage. Um, we've got Pastor Justin's going to be teaching one on parenting. And then uh, Dick Schmidt's going to be teaching one on prayer and uh, unleashing the power and potential of the relationship with God in your life. And so he's going to be looking at prayer. And so we've got some great workshops that we're going to be hosting right here at Springbrook. And then on top of that, we've got six nationally renowned speakers that are going to be teaching on various men's topics. We're going to be a, it's going to be a video feed lo- uh, to this location. So we're one of a uh, few regional sites uh, here in Illinois, right here in this area. And so, guys, I just want to encourage you. There is, there is no place more important for you to be on February 1st than right here because we're going to be looking at what it means to be a man of God 
how to allow God to transform your life, to have an impact on your family and your workplace and the relationships around you. And if you haven't signed up yet, I want to encourage you to do that today. It's going to be a great use of your time. I guarantee it. Ladies, you have an opportunity to sign up for the women's winter warm-up. So take advantage of those. This is, it's not a commercial. These are things that we're offering to kind of help people to, to number their days, to gain a heart of wisdom so they can make the most out of their time uh, here on earth. And so the principles that we're going to be looking at, guys, for that No Regrets Conference are going to be transferable. They're going to change your life. They're going to impact your friends, family. And so, guys, please uh, sign up um, for that. I know that you will uh, be blessed by that. But as you think about numbering your days, this is what this looks like for me. I actually number my days. And so my birth date is uh, June 3, 1962. And so um, I am 50. It's the first time I've uh, confessed that in public. <laughs> I was, uh, my birthday, the girls came running in, oh, you're 50 now. I was like, not yet. <laughs> I got three more hours. I mean, I, I did not want to turn 50. You know, I got, uh, you know, hanging around, uh, you know, John Jackson and Hathaway, and I hang around some of these guys, and they're all in their 30s. I was like, I want to be 30, man. These guys are having fun. I want to be young, you know. I don't want to be 50. Who wants to be 50? But I am 50. And actually, I'm not 50. I'm almost 52. But don't tell anybody. So, you know, if I live to be 80, I've got 29,200 days. And so I've been alive, you know, as of today, 18,837 days. 65% of my life's gone. I've got 35% to look forward to if I live to be 80. Now, I remember when I started doing this, those numbers were actually flipped. And so it's been, you know, it has just flown by. I'm not kidding yet. It's funny because every time I talk about this, you know, I, I number my days. And, I, you know, every once in a while this will come up as a topic of conversation amongst my kids. And it's like, oh, Dad, would you please? That is so stupid. Quit numbering your days. And I've got uh, my 26-year-old, Katie, was busting my chops one day. And I said, well, I don't know what you're busting my chops about. 30% of your days are gone. <laughs> what are you going to do? She, and she went back there and she did the math and she just went, Wow, I've only got 70 for some. And so she started thinking about that. It was really kind of interesting. And then my twins, they're 19. I joke them because they're, you know, they're going on 20. You know, they're always giving me flack. And I was like, well, I don't know why, because 25% of their days are gone. <laughs> it's like, number your days, kids. You know, Carolyn's right up there with me, and you know, Jennifer's sandwiched in the middle there. But here's the bottom line. Our days are fixed. You know, we're here temporarily. Uh, we're going to spend an eternity somewhere. But we need to number our days. We need to be aware of... The, where we're spending our time and are we investing in those areas of our relationships that matter most because that's how we become wise. You know, who knows you know, how many days we have left. But you know what? Regardless of what it is, we need to make the most of every day. Make the most of every opportunity. Be self-aware of our days. Number your days so that you can be wise. And when I was a kid, um, my family spent uh, a lot of time on the lake. We had a boat. And um, I love the I love boating. So we were out at the lake, and and we go to the beach, and so it was always my responsibility to tie the boat up, and so you know we didn't want the boat getting up there on the shore. So my responsibility to kind of tie it off out in the water. And so we had these anchors, and so I would uh, tie a rope around the bow of the boat. There was a little eye hook up there, and I'd I'd put the anchor in the ground, and that would hold the front. And then I'd go around to the back and tie a little rope onto a little capitation plate and put an anchor down there and. And then the boat would be anchored out there in the water. Oh, it looked so good. You know, it would just be anchored out there. And no matter how high those winds blew and no matter how high the waves were and the wind, and that boat was anchored there. It never moved. And so uh, you know, I was thinking about, you know, just as I think about going into the new year, in a lot of ways there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of waves, a lot of angst. And I was thinking about this morning's message, and I thought, you know what, we just need to keep the main things the main things. And so as we head into next year, I want to look at four biblical principles that are anchors for us 
in our faith, that hold us steadfast when things aren't going well, that, that we can cling to, uh, that we can just offer up to God. And so I want to look at uh, four biblical principles that are going to help us to live wisely as we live out our faith. And these principles are, are transferable to today, tomorrow, and into next year and the year after. And so no matter what year it is, um, we want to look at these uh, principles. And the first one is this. The Bible is the foundation of our faith. You know, there's a lot of, have a lot of different conversations. There's a lot of different world religions out there, a lot of different belief systems. And, and you know, what I believe really doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, what you believe, <laughs> it really doesn't matter. I mean, we can sit here and we can have arguments all day long about who's right, who's wrong, what do you believe, what about this? Now, the bottom line is, is when it comes to matters of our faith, the Bible is the foundation for how God has established his relationship with us. And so everything we know about God, everything we know about how we live out our life wisely comes from God's word. And that's what uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 is all about. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training up in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's pretty comprehensive. God in his infinite plan set aside men that he used to write his words that have given us scripture today and this is how God relates to us and so if you want to know something about God his character how to have a relationship with him how we're to live our life it all comes to this and that is so freeing for me because you know I grew up in a in a time when you know the Bible wasn't my foundation and I was always you know what, what do you believe what do you believe and just talking to people and so it's so refreshing to know that we've got something that we can go to that is firm, that's unchanging, that will withstand the test of time. And the Bible is the foundation for our faith. And this teaching issue is about understanding what's right. If you want to know what's right in life, if you want to know what we're supposed to be doing, if you want to know what things are supposed to look like, I mean, all the answers to life's questions are found in Scripture. And that's what teaching is all about. When it says the Bible is good, profitable for teaching, it's about how do we know the difference between what was right and wrong. I was talking to somebody after the last service about just this idea of, you know, being judgmental or not being tolerant. And, you know, what's interesting is most of the conversations that I have, most of the heated discussions are not really about the difference of our opinions, but about what this book says. You know, and it really doesn't matter what I believe, but let's look at this book together. And so it's really an issue when it comes to matters of faith. What are you going to use to inform your opinion? And that's where the Bible comes into play. It's, it's good for teaching so that we know what's right and wrong. We, it's good for reproof. You know, reproof is the, just that idea of, of disapproval. It's a, you know, you, we really shouldn't do that. It's kind of it's self-correcting. And so the reproof kind of is, are, the, are the bumpers on the, on the bowling alley lane. They, just kind of, they kind of keep us in, in the groove. And so the Bible's good for keeping us on track. And, you know, it's good for correcting mistakes, too. It's good for correction. You know, that is wrong. And this is right, because Scripture says so. Not because of what Richard said, because of what some guy down the street said, but, you know, it's good for correction and for training up in righteousness. And the other thing I like about training, training is hands-on. You know, you can sit and you can learn. Um, you know, I can learn how to do something, but training is kind of hands-on experience. And so when we get in this and when we study it together and when we apply it to our lives, this is training up in righteousness so that we can have a relationship with God, so that we can become more like His Son, so that we can be made, in, in, in God's, from God's perspective, be made whole, be made complete, and we're equipped for every good work. Everything that God has for us, uh, we find, uh, comes from his word. And so we're, we're made complete before God. We're equipped for everything that God has for us. And so the Bible is the foundation uh, for our faith. And I know Dan, uh, Pastor Dan's had an opportunity to share his uh, background a little bit. I know, I think he shared a couple of weeks ago, 
about the fact that he was uh, born in a Christian home and you know, he made a faith commitment at an early age and he was surrounded by uh, family and friends that really encouraged him in his faith. And so, you know, as he kind of shared his faith story, it was really along the lines of how God's been faithful to him throughout the years. And, you know, as I listen to him share his story, that's just something that I've always thought, you know, I've really always appreciated about him is he's got a steadfastness about him uh, that I've really appreciated. But that wasn't really my story. My story is kind of like over here. <laughs> And so, you know, I grew up in a home where um, there was a Bible. I think we had one in the closet. Um, we did go to uh, church. I never was quite sure why, but I knew that if I didn't go, uh, there was going to be uh, a price to pay. <laughs> so, you know, these were things that were not really um, relevant for me. And, you know, the Bible was just another book from my perspective. I can, I can remember there was a point um, in the life of my family when I was growing up. Um, we, uh, My mom and dad could kind of hit some bumps in the road and, I can remember my mom having a conversation with my dad that went something along the lines of, you need to lead our family through this. And so uh, he went to church one Sunday and I thought, well, okay, well, let's get the Bible out. So I remember he called the family meeting and we're all sitting around the kitchen table and we're going to look at the Bible together. And so he went down to the end of the hall and he opened up the closet. He got out this box. <laughs> he comes walking down. He puts this box on the table and uh, he opens it up and it's got this big white Bible in it. So he pulls it out. I think it was a wedding present that they got. It was just a huge Bible. And I, I can remember as a kid, I'm looking at this thing thinking, man, who's going to get that out? That's <laughs> a big Bible. And so uh, you know, he cracks it open and, you know, not really sure where to go. We're just kind of, you know, he's kind of thumbing around in there and we're all kind of watching. Well, you know, this is kind of interesting, right? And so uh, he's kind of thumbing around through it. Oh, this looks good. And Well, this, thou is, and he starts reading it. I'm thinking, what, what are those? <laughs> I just, I couldn't connect with it. And, and so he read it and he said, well, you know, what do you guys think of that? <laughs> Huh? <laughs> Sounds interesting. <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. All right, well, that was fun. <laughs> Closed it up and, you know, we, you know, we prayed and did bless us the Lord for these, I guess, or something, we, some prayer, and that was it. And so we're all kind of sitting there going, okay. Right. <laughs> so kind of walked off. And so, you know, the, the Bible um, didn't really play a role in my life until I hit my own crisis and uh, walked into a church and started hearing a little bit about how to have a relationship with Christ, found, you know, found out the Bible was uh, applicable for life, started reading it. It changed my life. I mean, it took me from point, point B back to point A. I mean, it, just, it was life transforming for me. And it was, was neat about it was to be able to read through it and see its relevance, to see where it, uh, when you live on this path, how much better things are. And, so, and, and it answered so many questions about how to have a relationship with God and, and you know, how, to live, how do you be a husband, how do you be a father, you know, what does sex and marriage look like? You know, the Bible answers all those questions. It's great. I mean, this is God's written word. And so when you think about it, you get to the end of the day and it's like, you know, I love, you know, I'll, you know, I'll watch a football game, but, you know, what's my, you know, there's, this is the God of the universe has written this so that we can have a relationship with him. This is good stuff. And so, you know, when you think about um, the, the different types of reading material. This is not just a book. You know, this is the foundation of our faith. Everything that we believe about our relationship with Christ and about God and everything we believe at this church comes from this book. It's important. And so as you think about all the different anchors, as you think about anchors in your life and you think about all the things that you're uncertain about and all the questions that you have about life and, and all the questions about the future, this book answers everything that we need to know. And it really is it's an anchor for us. And so let's keep the main thing the main thing. The Bible is the foundation for our faith. It's important. We need to be in it. And, you know, uh, I can, you know, we can talk about, you know, it's important for you to, to read the Bible and you need to memorize passages. But until you internalize that truth, until you understand it, um, until it changes your life, you know, it's just, it's another 
you know, doing devotions can just be something you check off the list. Don't do that, man. Look, this is, this is God's love letter for us. It's, it's about an intimate relationship with God. It's about his plans for us and, and about understanding what it is that we're to believe. And so the Bible is the foundation for our faith. And that's the first truth that I think is really important for us to anchor ourselves in as we think about finishing up this year and heading into the next year. And the second truth is this. Jesus is our Savior. Mark chapter 8, it says Jesus was uh, with his disciples. Uh, he went to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And stop there for a second, because Jesus is he's with his disciples, and they're kind of just hanging out, and he looks over and says, you know, who do people say that I am? And they told him, well, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, uh, others say one of the prophets. And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody about who Jesus is, but you know, these are not <laughs> uncommon answers. Good guy, uh, moral teacher, um, you know, a prophet. I mean, he gets thrown in the category with, you know, Muhammad or Joseph Smith. I mean, for, for the most, of our, most of our culture would tell you that Jesus is just another guy. You know, but he's not that. And so Jesus, he stops for a second. He, he looks over at the disciples. Oh, this is who they say I am. And then in the next, in the next passage, in, in verse 20, he says, he says, he says to them, now, okay, that's what they say. Who do you say that I am? And I love Peter's answer. You are the Christ. You know, you're not just a good guy. You're not just a moral teacher. You are the Christ. And you know, it's interesting because growing up, you know, my name is Richard Willard, and I thought that was Jesus Christ. And so I thought, well, Jesus' his last name's Christ, right? So, um, uh, but Jesus Christ is, is not his formal name. You know, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He, 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 this, this Christ is an adjective. This is a noun describing who Jesus is. You are adjective. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. The one, you're the one that we've been waiting for, the one that's been promised to us in the Old Testament. You are who you claim to be, and you are the Christ. And so he makes some claims about Jesus here that separate him from what the culture believes about him. You know, Jesus is not just a moral teacher. He's not just a good guy. He's not just a prophet. He is a Savior. And he saves us from the condition that we've been born into. You know, none of us is perfect. We're all separated from God, and Christ is the solution for that. I was reading a, uh, an article last week from a guy that um, was struggling. He claimed to be an atheist. I love to talk to atheists. There, there are no atheists. At best, there's agnostics. There's, there's people that are confused about their faith, but you can't say that you know for a fact <laughs> there, there is no God. And so, But you know, he was struggling with some uh, issues of the Christian faith, and he said, how can you believe in a God that says, I love you, but if you don't do what I say, I'm going to send you to hell. Uh, and uh, you know, as I was kind of pondering it, I think that's kind of the perspective that our culture has about who God is. You know, these Christians, are, they're separatists, you know, they're judgmental, they look down, and there's no love there. And I think from a, from a culture perspective, that's what most people believe about uh, Christ followers today, and that they're, they are separatists, that they're very least, that they're judgmental, that they're not tolerant, and, and, but they don't understand who Jesus is, that, you know, he is the solution to the problem that we're in. The fact of the matter is, is that we're all separated from God because we're all imperfect. And, and Jesus is the solution. The Bible says that God's not willing for anyone to perish. And so the reality of who Christ is, is that we can all have access to God. You know, the, the doors of this church are open. They're not locked. I mean, you didn't have to pay to get in here. There's no secret password. There's no, there's no key to get in. You know, and, and the same as this is God. We all have access to God. It's through Jesus Christ. And so everyone can choose to have access to God through Christ. And so the issue is, is what do people do with Jesus? And so anyone that 
does not have a relationship with God that is separated from God from all eternity is doing so by choice. You can choose to believe that Jesus is the Christ or you can reject that decision that Jesus is the Christ and the outcome of that decision is going to affect where you spend eternity. And so it's not that we're judgmental. It's not that we're not tolerant. It's not that the doors are are locked. It's just that we've chosen to believe something that the majority of our culture doesn't believe. You are the Christ. You know, we are all in the same condition. And so, you know, as you think about the reality of that, it's important to understand who you are as it relates to God and who you are as it relates to Christ. You know, that is a foundational issue. Everything that we believe comes from Scripture and everything about our identity is rooted in who we are in our relationship with Christ. You know, I've had an opportunity to uh, um, do, you know, sadly enough, do several funerals this past number of holidays. Last uh, Thanksgiving, um, my uncle passed away, and so I went out to do the funeral for uh, my uncle in California, and I was talking to some different family members, and, and um, uh, you know, thank God everybody in my family, in my immediate family, my mom, my dad, and my, my sister, we all have relationships with Christ, but apart from that, the majority of, uh, almost almost all of our family has still got questions about what that looks like. And so I'm doing the funeral, and I'm not kidding you. I, if I got asked once, I got asked a hundred times, you know, where's, where's Uncle, where's, where's, <laughs> i got to be careful. This plays over iTunes. So if there's any family members listening, call me. <laughs> and so I got my family, you know, where's Uncle Jim? Where's, you know, it's just, it's just like, well, you know, how do you know where to go? I mean, so the conversation is about how to have a relationship with Christ. And we get so focused on where this person is and what do I believe that we don't really want to talk about this. And so I must have, I was just talking to people about how to have a relationship with Christ. And it was just, and, 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 and most people, you know, <laughs> including those closest to me, don't want to talk about that. I was talking with one of my family members and it was, you know, we just kind of walking through the basics of the faith. And I said, well, look, it's as simple as understanding your need for a relationship with Christ. You know, you're born separated and God provided a solution through His Son. You know, we got East, we got Christmas coming up. We're getting ready to celebrate His birthday. You know, what's Christmas all about? You know, God came down. You know, Emmanuel. You know, we're this is God, man, and this is a solution for how to have a relationship with Him. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus is God, that He died on the cross for your sins, and place your faith in Him. And and and, and so we're kind of processing through that. I said, you know, is that something you're interested in doing? And I asked him if he was interested in how to have a relationship with Christ. He said he thought about it for a second. He said, mm, no, not really, not now. I was like, oh, man, dude, what are you waiting for? I mean, wait, this is life-transforming stuff here. And the implications are, are for eternity. I mean, and this is, I mean this, is, this is commonplace. And so for Peter to be able to say, you are the Christ, is kind of an epiphany moment for us. And so anyone that is a Christ follower today has had to come to the realization that Jesus is our Savior. And God loves us and has a plan that's better for us than we have for ourselves. And sometimes we get caught in our circumstances. We get caught up in this side of the equation and things are out of control and we can forget some of the basics of the faith. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. God's word is the foundation for our faith. And Jesus is our Savior and that's where we place our hope. And that's the third uh, truth I wanted to share with you this morning. Our hope is that we will overcome death. You know, you know this sounds a little strange, but um, after you die and your body's buried, uh, it doesn't stay there forever. You know, <laughs> the Bible says that uh, when Christ comes back, um, if your body's in the ground, it's going to be raised. Uh, what was buried, um, perishable, is going to be raised, imperishable. It says if you're alive when Christ returns, your body's going to be changed. At the end of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that in the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, if Christ returns, you're going to be changed. 
You're going to be made new. You're not going to be perishable anymore. The decay is going to be gone. You're going to be new. You're going to be, there's going to be a completely new body that you have. And it says if you've been buried, it's going to be raised from the grave. And so death for, a, uh, for all of us is something that's a, ter- that's a temporary state. You know, death, the reality of it is our bodies in the ground. But Jesus says to the thief on the cross next to him who believes in him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And so we know that through our relationship with Christ, we're going to be with him in paradise at the point that we die. We don't have a relationship with Christ. We're separated. But we know that the body is going in the ground. And so there's a spiritual and physical part of us that is, we're dealt with at death. And so, uh, but, but when Christ comes back, the dead are going to be raised and those that are going to be alive are going to be changed. And so Jesus, you know, uh, kind of models this for us. We see that in the resurrection. And Paul's having a conversation with some other believers. He's talking to this group of people that are questioning this resurrection. This body thing? I don't know, man. This is too weird. And so Paul's talking to this group, uh, this group in Corinth, and he's talking to them about the resurrection, the reality of it. And he says, well, if, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, where's Jesus' body? Put in the grave, third day, celebrated Easter. He rose from the grave. He ascends into heaven. After he appears to you know, 500 witnesses. And so... Uh, you know, Paul's having a conversation about this resurrection from the dead. There's people doubting it. How can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? I mean, weren't you there when Jesus rose from the grave? I saw it. Yeah, we saw it too. I mean, there's 500 witnesses. Didn't you guys all see this? And Paul's going, how can you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, your faith is useless, and we can be found to be representing, misrepresenting God. If Jesus Christ was not raised from the grave, then everything we believe is false. It's in vain. We're, and worse than that, we're misrepresenting you and we're leading you astray from something that you already believe to be true. I mean, the resurrection is a big deal. And Paul's having this conversation with him. And then he, he says down in verse 20, he goes on to say this. But he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also also in Christ all shall be made alive. That is great news. Death is not the end. It's sad for those that have been left behind. God promises to comfort us in our grief. Psalm 23 says he walks through us the valley of the shadow of death. We have the Holy Spirit to, to guide us and, and to provide us comfort. We have, the, we have the body of Christ. We have other believers to come alongside and comfort us. And so grieving is a normal part of the process of experiencing death. But that is not the end. Our hope is that we're going to overcome death. You know, it's been interesting for me to be able to um, just talk with different people that have gone through this. I think of, um, you know, Gerald and... Uh, uh, Wiley, uh, Jerry Wiley and his wife, um, oh my gosh, I had her. Alice. <laughs> yeah, Alice. <laughs> she used to come in every Sunday and um, she would light up my morning. I absolutely loved uh, talking to Alice. And I can remember that she was kind of, you know, coming through the end, having this conversation with her. I mean, she was really looking forward um, to heaven. And I think if, you know, uh, Jerry and Alice both modeled for me what it meant to, you know, to come to this point in your life and model that well. And I just, so many of you have faced this issue. And I know, um, you know, I, I talk to people all the time about this. You know, Dan's modeled it well for me with his family. And, 
Um, you know, I've, I've experienced this through the lives of others, but it's become a little bit more personal for me. My mom um, was diagnosed with a form of ALS um, eight, eight years ago, and uh, it's Lou Gehrig's disease. And when they diagnosed her, they said, you've got eight months to live. And, uh, you know, so we went through that. And then come to find out, it was not ALS, but it was a form of ALS. It's called IBM, inclusion body mitosis. And so it's not eight months, but eight years. And so for 10, you know, for, you know, for five years, she's been down in Texas. For the last three, she's been up in Illinois, and now she's coming into eighth year. And so her mind is sharp, um, her spirit is sharp, and her body is just stopping. And so, you know, we're having conversations now about this issue. And it is so hard because, you know, we get together at Christmas, and it's like, oh, it's just the last Christmas, and we've got the grandkids. And, I mean, it's just it's so painful to go through this process. And, and this is what I have been clinging to with my mom as we're, we've been kind of processing through this. This is not the end. Our hope is that if through who we are in Christ, we have the assurance of heaven and that when he does come back, you're going to get a new body. This disease is going to be gone. I mean, you know, I talk to people about this a lot. It's like, well, if I'm missing an arm, do I get a new one left? I'm like, I, don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to be great because we're going to be in God's presence. <laughs> He's going to meet all of our needs. No more weeping, no more sorrow, no more nasty teeth. Heaven is going to be great, and I'm looking forward to it. Amen? I mean, this is going to be great. We are going to overcome death. That is a pillar of our faith. We've got the Bible as the pillar of our faith. We've got Jesus as our Savior, and we have the hope that we're going to overcome death. And that's, that's reality for Paul, and he is so excited about it that it's no wonder. You know, he writes this next passage in, in Philippians chapter 1. He says, for me to live is, is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yeah, I'm not sure which, uh, I'm not yet, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm not sure how this is going to turn out, but my desire, my heart's desire, my will, all of me wants to be in heaven with Christ. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better than anything here, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You know, what does it mean to be fruitful? What does fruitful labor look like? You know, how do you, how do you make fruit? Can anybody make fruit? You can't make fruit. It's a process, right? What do you need to make fruit? You need seed. You know, something's got to die in order for there to be a seed there. You've got to cut an apple in half to get the seed out. You know, for a believer, for Paul, somebody has to die themselves. Somebody has to be selfless and say, I'm going to put you first, not me. I'm going to invest my life in your life. Somebody has got to be intentional about investing their life and someone else, that's the seed. And we need soil. That's God's word. Everything that we need to grow is in here. So God's word is the soil. We need water. We need to be dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. We can have God's word, and we can, have, and we can, have, uh, we can die to self, but we can do things for the wrong motivation. We can do things in our own strength. We need to be dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life to accomplish what God wants to have. And then, so we need seed, we need soil, we need water. And you know what else we need? Sunlight. You cannot hide your light under a bowl. As believers, we've been called to be out in the world. Not of it, but in it. We're called to be salt and light to people around us. We've got to be out there where people are. Paul says, look, this is for you. This is for your account. This is for your benefit that I'm going to be out here and be with you. And as believers, as followers of Christ, we need to be able to say, look, this is not about me, but about what God wants to accomplish in and through me and through us together. And this is so, one of the most difficult places this plays out is in small groups. I mean, small groups could be a painful place to say, hey, look, or church planting. I've been involved in you know, several church plants, and it's painful when somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm leaving, and I'm going to go over here and 
and start a church. I mean, that's a painful process. These are your friends. These are people you know, and it happens in small groups too. We've been together for so long. I mean, we're friends. I don't want to leave. But, you know, Paul says, look, if we're going to be fruitful, we've got to die to ourselves. We have to come over here. We've got to, we've got to cross-pollinate with some other people. Paul says fruitfulness comes from being around other people, being rooted in God's word, and being dependent on the Holy Spirit. And in Springbrook, that's why we exist, to build passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Passionate followers. People are excited about God's word, about who they are in Christ. They're excited about the hope that they have, and, and they're excited about what God has for them. They want to be fruitful. They want to invest in others. That's passionate followers of Christ. You know, we're, we're all about worship. Worshiping God, loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Worship is an important part of who we are. We, we love others as we love ourselves. We have spiritual gifts. We serve others as we build up the body of Christ. And evangelism, you know, not everyone has the gift of evangelism. But every believer, every believer, according to Acts 1.8, is called to be a witness. You will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. We've all got a story. If you are a Christ follower, you have a story and you can share that with somebody else. And so what's your story? I love people. What's their story? Everybody says, when did you make your faith? Oh, I made a faith commitment when I was 12. Okay, well, tell me a little bit about that. Boom, it stops. Every believer has a story. Know your story and share it with other people. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism, but a passionate follower of Christ is somebody that's excited about what they have in Christ and wants to share that with other people. You know, we're about fellowship. You know, there's, you know, there's the whole idea of who we are together. You know, membership is not a legalistic requirement. Membership is about who we are together as a family. Baptism is not about the dogmatic get you into heaven. You know, this ring says I'm married. Baptism is a part of the fellowship and identifies me with Christ. And so we have, we have different opportunities for people to take spiritual growth steps that reflect what it means to be a part of the fellowship, have fellowship with Christ, to have fellowship with one another, to belong to one another. And then we're about discipleship, teaching people to obey. You know, God's word and applying it to your life is a priority for us at Springbrook. And so we want to build passionate followers of Christ. That's a God-given vision that really helps us to fulfill God's purpose for us as a church. That same purpose applies to our small groups. It applies to our individuals, uh, uh, just to each one of us individually and to all of our ministries. You know, be purposeful. And so these four anchors, I just pray, you know, for us, for each of us, for myself uh, included, that as we head into 2014, that we're not distracted by the world. I know there's a lot of things that distract us, but let's keep the main things the main things. Because if we can work on these four things, we can trust God with everything else. The Bible is the foundation for our faith. Jesus is our Savior. Our hope is that we're going to overcome death, and our purpose is to be fruitful and invest in the lives of others. And so as you think about what this looks like in your life, this morning I want to ask you, as you head into 2014, to um, just set aside some time this morning to say, God, grow me in one of these areas. You know, if you don't have a Bible at home or if you're still trying to figure out how to read that, I've got, got some Bibles up here. You know, I'd, be, I'd love to give you a copy of a Bible if you don't have one. We're going to spend the next uh, five or ten minutes at a time of corporate prayer. And so um, we're going to give you a few moments to come up to the front. Um, if you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, um, uh, our prayer team is going to come forward now. In fact, I'd like to go ahead and invite them up to the front. and Our worship team is going to go ahead and come out now as well. But if you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, we would love the opportunity to talk to you about it. When one person repents and comes into a relationship with Christ, it says, the angels in heaven rejoice. And so this morning, if you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you more about that. You know, if you're not secure in where you're going to spend eternity, answer that question today. And so if you're, if, you know, if you've just got, you know, 
the weight of, if you're just feeling the weight of circumstances in your life right now and you need to be encouraged, we'd love the opportunity to just to encourage you this morning through prayer and kind of focus you on the hope. And then, uh, and then this morning, if you're just thinking through, well, where is a growth area for my, uh, for my life? Just think about your purpose. You know, as you think about heading into the next year, you know, where do you want God to grow you? And so we're going to give you um, five or ten minutes to, to come forward and pray. Um, our worship team is going to lead this in uh, the next song. And then I just want to invite you to come up. We can pray for you. If there's anything on your heart, if you want to praise God, if you want to kind of consecrate yourself as we finish up this year and head to the next year, you can come forward for that. Um, if there's any way that we can pray for you, we want to spend the next 10 minutes. invite you to come up and let us pray for you as we head into this uh, next time together. So next 10 minutes, come on up and let us uh, pray for you.